Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. Now, let's talk a little bit about Mars construction. Now, one of the big advantages of in-space manufacturing is that it allows the construction of components that are way too big to fit on top of a rocket. Now, Justin Kugler, who is the vice president of Made in Space Advanced Programs and Concepts, said designers can optimize for the design and service life of satellite, as opposed to surviving those first 15 minutes of getting out of Earth's gravity and atmosphere. And you know, this is really important. I've harked on about this before. You know, building something in zero G is a much better idea than, you know, building it on Earth and sending it up on a rocket. Because what you could do is send up materials packed really, really efficiently up into orbit and then build what you want in orbit with very low constrictions, especially with something like a 3D printer. The possibilities are huge. One of the main issues about being on Earth and wanting to get into space is that we have gravity and atmosphere. Now take into consideration the moon. It doesn't have those issues or anywhere near as bad. And we know NASA's doing the Artemis program and the Blue Origin also wants to land on the moon and make a base there. But what could happen after that once we've got a permanent moon base? Well, with no real gravity to worry about, I mean, it'd be fairly easy to start constructing large ships there instead of on Earth. It's possible that we could even build like a massive space station on the moon and then have it sent from the moon to go around orbit Earth. And let's take this idea even further. If you had a big space station like that, it could be the highway-esque gas station bridging the gap between Earth, the moon, and then you would have Mars. But what else could you do? You could even build cruise ships up there and all sorts of interesting stuff. So let's say we get to that stage, you know, we've got a new ISS and a permanent moon base. Well, now we go to Mars and beyond. It's that simple. Although it's been a long time in the making, once we have this first proper step, especially with all these private companies on board, you're going to see a lot of things happening very, very quickly. Things that would have originally seemed like science fiction becoming reality. Now, I think we're pretty familiar, you know, we've got robots on the International Space Station, we've got robots on Earth, what's going on? We're being taken over by these little robots. Well, on the ISS right now, they've got these little flying cube robots. So the crew on the ISS reviewed the Astro B, which is an OBT, an onboard training, in preparation for hardware checkouts and calibration sessions. And the Astro B is actually a series of three flying cube-shaped robots. Uh, and the robots are designed to help the scientists and engineers develop and test technologies for use in microgravity to assist astronauts with routine chores. The autonomous robots, powered by fans and vision-based navigation, perform crew monitoring, sampling, logistics management, and accommodate up to three investigations. So they're definitely very productive little things. And you know, because they can be controlled by people back down on Earth, especially at NASA, you don't really need to bug the astronauts and say, hey, can you do this? You could just test it remotely especially if you're back down on Earth. But I think the interesting part for this is, you know how they move around? It's just interesting. 
They use fans, just electric common fans, and they actually charge through the actual space station systems, which is solar. And NASA is envisioning them as being caretakers, especially for future spacecraft. So they would go around monitoring systems and keeping everything operational. But you know, I really hope these things, they don't go rogue and then, you know, humans are being transported in suspended animation. It's just like an episode out of one of these sci-fi films. Things could go bad. But I think when we have these missions going more often from Earth to the Moon and Moon to Mars, these types of little robots might make their way down to Earth, especially think about in the medical fields. But when it comes to space development, all of this stuff gets accelerated way quicker. So I, for one, am really interested to see where this all goes. Now, going to Mars, we've talked many times about this, you know, it takes a long time. Uh, even with the nuclear engines, we're still talking about a couple of months. Now, the European Space Agency, uh, they've got a scientist called Mark McCochrian. Now, he said that humans could be put into hibernation for the journey to Mars to prevent fights breaking out over the seven-month flight and to avoid using up resources. He then said that the agency has seriously considered placing passengers into a kind of a suspended animation, and they've already been doing these experiments on animals. So to quote what he said, we're doing experiments on now artificial hibernation to put somebody under for seven months and not to worry about food. But that got me thinking, you know, we've got Starship and we're gonna have all, a lot of people going off to Mars. And you, you think about it, we're gonna, it's seven months of food, water, and just generally keeping your body in good order. You know, you've got to keep your body fueled. This suspended animation thing is really going to come into its own. But I don't think this is going to be particularly important for the moon, because if we're going from Earth to the moon, we're probably not going to need to go into suspended animation. It's not too long a journey. But going off to Mars, that's a possibility. We might need to do that. But then when it gets to that stage, you could actually go even further than that. You could even go to one of the moons of Jupiter, because like Mark just said, we don't need to worry about fights breaking out or any psychological or physiological issues. It could literally stock up the ship and off it goes. It's got its team ready to go. When it lands, that's when the mission starts. So definitely this is going to be critical, especially when we go further and further away from Earth. Now, chances are you've been to Hilton Hotel. I know I have. You know when you go to like Doubletree, they give you those nice cookies? Well, I've got news for you. Just recently, Doubletree Hilton sent some cookies all the way up to the International Space Station with a special oven. But what is the special oven? Well, you know, up to now, food's never been baked in space. All astronauts can eat are specifically prepackaged meals. Uh, and as per NASA, this experiment is all to test the psychological and physiological benefits for crew members from eating flavorful cooked meals. However, there's some bad news. Since the oven's still in the testing stages, the astronauts won't actually be able to eat the freshly baked cookies. But since the temptation is very real, and you know these fresh baked cookies, you can't resist them, especially the double tree ones, Hilton sent up some pre-made ones for the crew to enjoy. But I did a little bit more digging into this, uh, and Hilton's got some very interesting history when it comes to space. I bet you never knew that back in 1967, Baron Hilton, who was the president of the Hilton Company, told the Wall Street Journal that he was planning to cut the ribbon and opening ceremony for a Lunar Hilton hotel within his lifetime. He described the Lunar Hilton as a hundred-room hotel that would be built below the surface. Guests would gather around a piano bar and they would look at the observation dome, and, you know, you could see all the way back to Earth. And, you know, Baron's desire to build a Hilton on the moon struck a chord with people all across the world. The hotel group even printed promotional reservation cards for customers to reserve a room at the Lunar Hotel. They even have in the Hilton archives hundreds, if not thousands, of letters from people writing in saying, 
They've seen pictures of this reservation form and they wanted to get their name on there. And they even made these futuristic little keys for the hotel. It was a very sleek piece of metal and like little holes in it and a nice wooden trim on it. Oh, it just looked really nice. But even going further than that, this idea of a Hilton hotel in space has appeared in films like the famous 2001 Space Odyssey on that Werner von Braun space station. So really, I wouldn't be too surprised, you know, when Starship starts running going into the 2020s that we see a Hilton Hotel in space. It really is just around the corner, especially with the Bigelow modules which are specifically targeted for accommodation in space. Now, moving on to something else, you've probably heard me talk about how Nike used some of the spacesuit technology to make their shoes. Well, Adidas wants to be the first brand to test improvements to footwear in space. They plan to test their Boost technology, which is the foam the company uses to cushion some of the most popular and comfortable shoes without the distraction of gravity. And this could influence the performance and comfort of existing models while paving innovation for new products. James Carnes, the Vice President of Global Brand Strategy for Adidas, said beyond Earth's atmosphere, extreme conditions like microgravity and temperature allow for unique exploratory testing that can only be achieved in space. And then he also went on to say, this will manifest itself in technology and process innovations and extreme temperature management on both footwear and apparel. So these tests are slated to begin early next year and the astronauts will be able to experiment to test if it's possible to produce boost midsoles with regions of different particle sizes, which Adidas says theoretically could optimize performance and comfort. Also, you know, astronauts need to undergo rigorous training in order to prepare for these harsh conditions in space. So all this development into the shoes could actually improve the endurance and strength of astronauts training for space. So Voyager 2 sends an update from beyond the solar system after 42 years. Now, you've all probably heard of Voyager 2, it was the second man-made object to leave the solar system, and it blasted all the way back in 1977, and then it left the heliosphere, which is our solar bubble envelops the Earth and the neighboring planets. Now, data from Voyager 2 has helped reveal the blunt bullet shape of the heliosphere, and that's around the solar system. But one of the instruments on Voyager 1, which was originally sent, was broken. But Voyager 2 was able to send back an even more detailed treasure trove of data from 11 billion miles away. And it found that the heliopause, which is the barrier where solar and interstellar winds meet, was much more defined than scientists had originally anticipated. Voyager 2 took less than a day to cross the heliopause, whereas Voyager 1 had taken 80 days. As it left the solar system, Voyager 2 also recorded particles leaking out into interstellar space, whereas Voyager 1 had recorded elements of interstellar wind coming the other way. So the comparison where the two probes had left the solar system actually helped show the shape of the heliosphere. And Professor Edward Stone at the California Institute of Technology compared it to a supertanker moving through interstellar space. He said there's a wave in front, just like the bow of a ship, and we're trying to understand the nature of the boundary where these two winds collide. And you know what's really interesting? Both those Voyager probes, they were only built to last 12 years, so it's amazing they've lasted this long. Initially, they were only sent out to study, you know, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, but then they just kept on going. But everything must come to an end, and it seems like that the communication's probably gonna cease to exist over the next decade. But Bill Kurth, who's at the University of Iowa, said they'll outlast Earth. 
They're on their own orbits around the galaxy for 5 billion years or longer, and the probability of them running into anything is almost zero. And on board the probe, they've got a drawing of a man, a woman, a bird, and they've got some whale songs and a recording of Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. So inevitably, when the aliens find this little probe flying through the galaxy, they'll probably have to come visit us back on Earth. Now, we're going to talk about parachute tests, and Boeing just had one of their three parachutes fail to deploy during a safety test of the CST-100 Starliner crew capsule. And let me explain what happened here. So you're probably aware, you know, NASA's got that program called Commercial Crew, and it's to get all the astronauts launched from the US again, because currently it's done with the help of Roscosmos, the Russian space agency. Now, SpaceX and Boeing were both chosen for this program and had to make their own capsule. And just recently, SpaceX had announced they completed their 13th successful test in a row of Crew Dragon's parachute system tests. And I definitely recommend go and watch the video. It's really cool seeing this parachute, how it deploys. And intentionally, they didn't release number four. And that was to show, you know, if an error happened in the system and it could only launch three of the parachutes, how would it affect safe landing? And obviously, it really performed very well. Now, going back to Boeing's Starliner, it had a failed system. Now, Bletcher from Boeing had said that it's too early to determine why all three parachutes didn't deploy, and he added by saying, however, having two of the three deploy successfully is acceptable for the test parameters and crew safety. He overall said the test on Monday morning was successful. So Boeing and NASA, they're still targeting for December 17th for Starliner's first unpiloted mission to the ISS. And you know, let's be honest, we know that both systems are safe now, and even with major errors, you can still have a successful safe landing. Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM, or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.